other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Ray Parker Jr. song from the motion picture Ghostbusters, and uh, it's a great picture. It is a comedy, though, science fiction comedy, not necessarily something that we consider at all based in real life. In fact, there's a lot of people that may not even believe in ghosts. Some Someone who does and has been helping a lot of people that have had issues with ghosts over the years is the Reverend Sean Whittington. He is an ordained exorcism and deliverance minister, a genuine, honest-to-goodness ghostbuster, a lecturer, and a teacher of paranormal studies at a Bible college. He's also uh, an author. We're going to tell you about his new book in a moment. Uh, Sean, it's great to have you back on the program. Thanks for joining me. Frank, it's been a, it's been too long, brother, and, you, and I almost missed my cue here. You actually had me up dancing at the Ray Parker. Day <laughs> Sean, for people that have not heard you before and are unfamiliar with your background, how does one get into the business of being a Ghostbuster? I this is what I've been telling people forever. I, I didn't wake up one morning and say that I wanted to be an exorcist, and I actually got drug into this field kicking and screaming. Uh, my wife and I had a paranormal team, Ghost Be Gone, for many years, and we went on a case and brought something back home with us from this case that was uh, very malevolent, very dark, and it took up residence in our home for about two months. And uh, I was under attack, my wife was under attack, and it was it was pretty ugly. And I didn't know what to do because I had no training in the deliverance ministry, exorcism, possession uh, field. So I reached out into the paranormal community, and uh, I didn't expect to get any help, to be honest with you. But for once, they came through for me and introduced me to my then mentor, who is now retired. Uh, She was an ordained exorcist, and she walked me through how to fight this thing and get it out of our house. It took a little bit, and it was quite a battle, but we finally accomplished that. And then after it was all done, she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, and she said that she was convinced I was being called to this field. And if I was interested, that she could um, train me further, put me through uh, the Christian University training that she was associated with and the Exorcism Association that she was associated with and get me the training I needed. Well, I was scared and I didn't want to do it, but I thought, you know what? Uh, No tuition. I didn't hear the word tuition pop up, so I'm not going to turn that down. And at least next time I'll be ready if it happens again, because my wife and I hadn't 
decided to walk away from ghost busting and ghost hunting and helping people with their paranormal issues. So we, you know, we planned on still continuing to do that. So I went ahead and finished the training and uh, lots of things happened during that time. Some pretty frightening things working a couple of very frightening cases. And at one point dealing with, uh, I was trying to help my wife survive three different rare, very rare forms of cancer, Mm. which were a result of her extreme demonic attack that we had in this home. And uh, she's, she's still alive. God bless her. And, you know, um, it's extreme divine intervention. She's still here with us, but it was a, a brutal time. And I left the field for a while because I came under a couple of more extreme demonic attacks on a couple of cases. And I just had enough. I walked away, but then, you know, uh, I didn't take it into consideration that this is what God's plan was for me. So the next thing you know, things started happening that made it perfectly clear to me that God was calling me to this field. And so um, I got back up on the horse and jumped back into it. But I wake up every day and pray that I never have to take authority over another exorcism or work another uh, demonic case again. Um, Because it's a very, it's not like going into a home and helping somebody with Aunt B who hasn't crossed over yet sure. because she's still, you know, she's stuck here, wants to still watch over her house and her family and try to do the dishes from time to time and do a little cooking. And the ha- the family's freaked out. It's much different than that. Demonic cases, it's a matter of life and death. It's The demonic is present for one purpose, and that's to kill somebody or kill many people and destroy lives. So it's a completely different approach and way you have to um, have to behave and, and go about your business. Interesting. While while in that, uh, talking with Sean Whittington, Sean, you mentioned exorcism. Now I think a lot of people have seen the film The Exorcist, and you you view it a lot. I think I think a lot of viewers view this as sort of a typical horror movie, but. Lately, really over the last two, three, four years, there's been a tremendous uptick in exorcism around the world and in America. A big article in the Associated Press as a couple months ago, as exorcism demand continues to rise, Vatican to hold additional uh, training. Another article a year or so before that, exorcism increasingly frequent including after U.S. protests. Now, we've all seen, or I think many of us have seen, the film The Exorcist. Creature of God! In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by this sign of the Holy Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, David. Amen. God, defender of the human rights. So, Sean, now that I think more people are coming to the realization that exorcisms are real and they do occur regularly, since that is the frame of reference for a lot of us, how realistic of a depiction is that particular film? I believe it's very realistic. I know it's based on a true story. I personally have never seen levitation the way 
you saw levitation in that movie. Uh, I've talked to other exorcists who've seen it. I have seen objects thrown. Um, I did an exorcism uh, once where the girl couldn't move and she was wheelchair bound. And when the unclean spirit manifested through her, her wheelchair lifted a little bit and moved on its own while she was in it. Uh, but the type of levitation seen in the exorcist, I personally have not seen. Uh, but uh, I believe it's a very uh, well-depicted movie. I think Peter William Peter Blatty really um, went all out in, in researching that film, and he had a lot of help in the form of priests and clergy who were very knowledgeable in this field, in the field of demonology and exorcism, that helped him make that movie. So uh, um, it one of my all-time uh, – and I was getting goosebumps just listening to your little uh, – your little um, clip that you played there, a very, very strong movie. William Friedkin, the director of that picture, very accomplished filmmaker, very credible guy. He did an interview, I guess about five or six years ago with uh, a radio station in New York, AM 970, uh, Michael Riedel. And he talked about some of the strange things that occurred on the set of that picture. I think the only really extraordinary thing that happened was one morning, at about four in the morning, before we were going to shoot that day at eight, I got a call not to come to work that day. The interior set of the house was on West 56th Street and 10th Avenue in a very old soundstage. And I got a report at four in the morning from my production manager that the entire set had burned to the ground. Whoa. And uh, nobody knows how it happened or why. But we had to shut down the picture for about six or seven weeks and rebuild the set. And, you know, Friedkin goes on to talk about the Vatican's view of exorcism and why they kept it so under wraps from the public for so long. Uh, But before the last three popes, uh, there were not too many people high in the church who were promoting this idea because it isn't always successful. Uh, no, when, when, it, when it goes wrong, it's... Well, they don't want people to think, you know, there's guys walking around out there who did not have successful exorcisms, but that's the truth. You know, it's funny, Sean, until he said that, that's not something I ever thought of. In Have you had failed exorcisms where you try to exorcise a demon from someone and you're not able to do so? Absolutely, and it's... Um... It's heartbreaking, and I, I'll be the first to admit I've had to walk away from many cases and pass them on to um, clergy or an exorcist who's had more experience than me to take over. Um, it's uh, it's very heartbreaking when that happens. How many exorcisms have you done? Oh, gosh, I don't have the, the count uh, in front of me. Probably 50. 50. Wow. So you've been uh, around the block when it comes to this. Based on your work, have you seen the same type of up, uptick in demonic possession in recent years that's been reported? Absolutely. That's the only call I get nowadays. It's uh, pretty uh, pretty depressing, to be honest with you. I think humanity has lost its faith, and, I, and it doesn't really matter what, what religious belief system you have in place or not, and I don't try to, conform, you know, to convert anybody or, or judge. But I believe as a whole, humanity has just gotten away from uh, being human and allowing this darkness to seep in uh, among us. And it's, 
it's as strong as I've ever seen it in the 63 years I've been on the face of this earth. The veil is, the, it almost seems like the veil is completely gone, separating um, humanity from the demonic. And it, it's just really an ugly time right now in the world. You you see the violence. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know. So do you believe that the kind of the what you described, I think the word you used was this increasing faithlessness, that that is what's responsible for the uptick in, in demonic possession? Absolutely. Absolutely. And once they get into a, a, a certain level uh, among us uh, with in, in terms of strength, they contribute to that. They contribute to the continuing faithlessness and people losing their faith and um, and losing hope and just becoming really uh, nasty, vile creatures. What if someone, and we're talking with um, Sean Whittington, and you can uh, check out his website if you're interested in learning more about his work. It's uh, called Ghost Be Gone. You can go to ghost-b, the letter B, dash gone dot biz, ghostbegone dot biz. What if someone is, say, an atheist, and they don't even believe in God, let alone demons? Can they still be possessed by a demon that they don't believe in? Absolutely. And that's most of the people that call me up and need help are the ones that didn't believe. The demon doesn't care what you believe in or or, or what you do or don't believe in. Everybody's a target. Unfortunately, the people that don't believe, sometimes knowingly and many times unknowingly, say something and do something that attract these things and make themselves a target and then these things attach to them. Uh, I have never had an atheist come to me who had an attachment, a demonic attachment, or was possessed, that was an, extre- an extremely person of strong, extreme strong faith afterwards. Um, so that's the good news. And Sean, what you mentioned the demonic presence that was in your home. What makes someone or someone's home susceptible? to demonic possession. I spoke with a priest one time who said, well, you should avoid things like Ouija boards and things of that nature that, uh, you know, anything having to do with the occult that opens uh, a pathway that down a road that you don't necessarily want to pursue in your view. And based on your research, what is it that makes you susceptible to demonic possession? Well, he didn't lie to you. He was spot on there. And you and I must already be a little psychically connected here because that's what I believe invited this entity to follow my wife and I home from this case we were working. We used a Ouija board on Mm. this case and we didn't know what we were doing. And I still to this day believe that's what opened the door and allowed this entity to attach to us and follow us home. So I'm not a big fan of them or anything that's attached to the occult. Uh, That's right up there. But it can be many other things. I'm in Las Vegas. So a lot of my clients are adult film stars, strippers, um, uh, prostitutes, people that are just so strung out on on, uh, drugs and alcoholism. And um, it's just that opens you up, too, uh, and makes you a target, that type of behavior and lifestyle. Can anyone learn to be an exorcist or do certain people have a knack for it more than others? I do believe it's a calling. I believe that uh, anybody that tries to become an exorcist or go and take an authority over an exorcism and perform one that hasn't been called to the field is really setting themselves up 
to uh, get beat up on, chewed up and spit out and possibly killed, uh, depending on how powerful of a demon they may go up against. I do believe it's a true calling. And um, I know that there's a lot of people out there that are self-proclaimed demonologists. Even some of these self-proclaimed demonologists have done a lot of research in demonology. You can be a demonologist and um, a priest may not know anybody else that he can send into a case and do some paranormal investigating and try and determine if the demonic is present and then report back their findings to the priest. And then the priest can decide, go to his superiors with that evidence and try to get the okay to go ahead with an exorcism. Or at least, at the very least, go there and do a complete home and property cleansing, blessing, and exorcism. You can do that over a home and property, too, and not a person. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with the Reverend Sean Whittington. He's the author of the new book, God, Ghosts, and the Paranormal Ministry 2. Sean, what's this book about? What are people going to learn in the book? Well, the first book, which I wrote a few years ago, is a autobiography. And there's a lot of stories in there of um, true life encounters I've had with the demonic. The second book I wrote... Well, I was in a TV show recently, Eli Roth Presents the Legion of Exorcists, which appeared, premiered in June, just this past June on Travel Channel. It's now streaming on Discovery Plus and Max. But when I got uh, the role uh, in that TV show, sharing those real-life stories on set uh, was was very therapeutic for me because I never planned on sharing a lot of these stories and I didn't realize what to, what a burden it was on me. So I learned that it was, it felt really good to get that off my chest. And then I knew when filming was done and I got back home and had some time, there were other stories I needed to put pen to paper and get out there. And so the second book is those types of cases. Some probably, if we go to a season two, probably too scary for even television. But the second book is called um, God Ghosts in the Paranormal Ministry 2, Chronicles of an American Exorcist. And that's just uh, all my probably most violent cases in that book. Wow. Yeah, if people want to check it out, they could search your last name on Amazon, W H I T T I N G T O N. Sean Whittington and uh, check out the book. Uh, certainly uh, sounds like it's uh, in the climate we're in, something that people should at least be aware of. Sean, you mentioned the kind of separate category that you deal with of ghosts and people that may be lingering around after they die uh, with no intention to malevolently possess someone or things along those lines. Why do people get stuck on this planet after they die? Why would uh, two people die, one person goes to the hereafter, and one person stays on this plane? Why does that happen? I believe well, we're still given free will by God on this side and the other side. And some people, depending on how they pass, they aren't ready. They, they know where the light is. They see angelic beings calling them over. Perhaps sometimes they're close enough. They even see maybe some loved ones and relatives on the other side waving to them, you know, signaling them to come on over. But some people just have too much of a hold still on their life. They, they don't realize that they're not of this 
age anymore of this realm of on this plane and they're of the ages and now it's time to move on they're even in spirit they're having a hard time dealing with that when i work a case like that it's almost like a breath of fresh air just to sit down and talk with a ghost and find out some of the funny reasons why they may be remaining and sometimes there's sad reasons too they uh, died a very violent death and unexpected and they're even sometimes having a difficulty uh, coming to terms that they're dead. They don't think they're dead. So there's a there's a lot of reasons, but most of the time I find it's just a spirit uh, isn't ready yet. Um, then there's some that have done, they're good people, but they've done some things in this life that they're a little ashamed of, and they think there might be some judgment on the other side. And I'm here to, I'm here to tell you there's not. And I, I convinced the spirit of that too, and it's time for them to go and, and and they won't receive any judgment. It's not like that um, in heaven. All right. Um, Sean Whittington, a fascinating conversation as always. Let's do this again very soon. Absolutely, brother. Anytime you need me. And again, if uh, people want to learn more about Sean or if they have questions about something that they're dealing with and they're not sure if it might be demonic or a ghost, check out ghostbegone.biz. There's a lot of great information on there and you can get in touch with Sean. Sean Whittington, thanks very much. God bless you, brother. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.